Thank you for tuning into More Than a Felon. I'm your host, Ladell Hayes, T26179, the ex-felon. After serving a prison sentence of 11 and a half years, I was able to get back into society and founded my very own nonprofit organization called Operation Flame. However, society is not always the most forgiving when inmates are being reintroduced after serving prison time. Here are more than a felon, we will conduct live interviews with ex-felons who have found success within their community and are striving to change the lives of others. Join us every week where you can experience real topics from ex-felons as well as real-time phone calls with currently incarcerated inmates to get their opinion on how we can reduce the spread of incarceration. Ex-felons in society have paid their debts to the rights for freedom, but many are challenged to change the way we are viewed by public perception. For more information regarding matters such as these, please feel free to visit our website at operationflame.com. I thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in to More Than a Friend. I'm your host, Liddell Hayes, and I have a special guest with me today. I'll let him introduce himself, but I will give you his name and let him take it from there. His name is Robert Wynn. Robert, how are you doing today? I am very blessed, Liddell. Just honored and, and privileged to, to be able to be here on More Than a Felon, oh. to have this opportunity okay. uh, to be able to speak and share some of my thoughts and feelings and my past with the listeners and with you. I, th- I thank you for this opportunity. For those listeners out there, my name is Robert Wynn. I am born and raised in Sacramento, California. I am 31 years old. I am two days away from my one-year marriage anniversary, and uh, we are expecting a a baby girl with a due date of June 10th. So I'm just kind of in that mindset right now of just embracing uh, fatherhood and looking forward to raising a young queen. I attended Grant High School uh, in Sacramento, California, really involved in sports. It kind of grounded me a little bit through through my childhood. And since I'm kind of speaking on my childhood, I came from a broken home. My, my mom and dad split up at a very young age. Uh, my dad had some really bad addictions. You know, he struggled with methamphetamine and other drugs, but majority of of methamphetamine. My mom made a very bold decision when I was six years old. My other two siblings were four years old and two years old at the time. Uh, My mom decided to get into the military, the army, and she had uh, signed over her parental rights to, to her mom and dad, my grandparents. And uh, that was kind of the beginning of some of the young challenges the, that I had of, of abandonment, neglect, where some of those deep-rooted insecurities started to take place uh, in my mind that kind of led me down a really dark path that ultimately led me to prison. And I grew up really good grades and I got into some really bad relationships with women. And I wind up seeking out a relationship with my dad when I was 19 years old. And I only knew one thing that he wanted, and that was drugs. So I wind up trying to sell my dad drugs just to have a relationship with him. And shortly after that, I wind up doing drugs with my father. And shortly after that, I wind up being arrested for uh, first degree robbery with a gun enhancement and being sentenced to, to 10 years of state prison. And I've been out for two and a half years. I was released August 13, 2018. And I never looked back from that morning, August 13, 2018. I hit the ground running and just continue to try to 
break barriers and reach new heights and learn new things and overcome my shortcomings with you know self-confidence and self-worth and just trying to move forward to be the best that I can be for my wife and my soon-to-be daughter. So that's a brief introduction there for you, Liddell, and the listeners that are tuning in today. Wow, it takes a lot to be able to come and uh, come clean with, with your past, the family struggles, your father and his addiction and the decision your mom decided to make, you wanting to have that relationship with your dad and did things that you felt would bring you guys closer. And even though those things might not have been right, you, you took responsibility and ownership in it and, and being able to admit to that. And that's a plausible, you know, commend you for that. And I know you've moved on from that and went on to pay your debt, uh, as they say, to society and never look back and hit the gates running. When you say hit the gates running, some of the viewers might not understand that. But can you explain to them what you meant by that? Yeah, most definitely. So I, I on the 10 year sentence, I, I did seven and a half years of that. And I knew I had to have a plan if if I wanted to be successful, if I wanted any chance at becoming a good citizen in society that I knew I had to do a lot of work on the inside. It was tough. And what I mean by that is I, I had to walk back down the path of every fear, every insecurity, every feeling that I had that led me down the path of incarceration. You know, what led me up to that point to believe that what I did was okay, what led me to that point. And it wasn't just the drugs that I did, it wasn't just my dad. It was a lot of the different things that affected me growing up. Myself and my two sisters were the only minorities in the family. There were times where other relatives would call us the the N-word or, you know, you're no better than your dad. And at the time, I, I didn't know the impact or the magnitude that that would have on me growing up into a young adolescent to a teenager and to a young adult. So during my incarceration, I knew that if I wanted any chance that I had to face some of those things that I suppressed for so long. And it was probably one of the hardest things that I ever had to do, you know, relive that pain, relive that fear and face some of that adversity right up front in my face. And I was fortunate enough through the last three years of my incarceration I was given the opportunity to work at a firehouse within the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. And at that moment, I knew that what I did with that was going to dictate what I did with my life post-incarceration. So every day that I was there, I did everything that I could to become better than I was the day before. And it wasn't easy getting down to the lower levels of prison incarceration. And I think this may be one of the questions that we were going to touch on, and I'll just touch on it now, was when that turning point came. About three years into my incarceration, I woke up one day, I had a celly, and in full transparency, just because I went to prison, it didn't mean that I stopped, you know, illegal activity or criminalizing certain things. And I was involved still with a lot of the wrong things because I haven't addressed the the true issue at the core of my insecurities, my abandonment issues, my neglect issues. And one day I woke up and I told myself, I didn't want to do this no more. I didn't want to live the way that I was living. One thing that really stuck out to me, I was at Soledad Prison, is that they had a lot of self-help groups. These self-help groups, they were predominantly filled with people that were never going home. 
people that were sentenced to 10, 15, 20, 25 years to life. And they were going there trying to build a great report for when they went to their board hearings that they may be found suitable for parole. So I started going to these classes because I knew I needed something different. I needed to change my mindset. I needed to change the way that I thought. I needed to change the people that I hung around and not become a product of the environment. And I really took a liking to a lot of the different things that went on in those self-help groups. And when I speak to self-help groups, I'm talking about anger management, cognitive therapy, relationship growth and development, life cycles, which stands for life, lifers choices, correcting youth's choices through lifers experience. Another one was called GOGI, it's G-O-G-I, that stands for going out by going in. And they're all pretty much similar in many a ways, 12-step programs with different tools that you can use to help combat or overcome the things that you deal with on a daily basis. One fact that stuck out to me that I still hold very close to my heart is seven out of 10 people return to prison and that over 76% of people incarcerated come from a fatherless home. And one thing that was the cherry on top is that when a lifer paroles, when he is found suitable to return to society, he has less than 1% chance of returning to prison. And at that moment, I knew I had to do what they did. And if those lifers have a track record of not coming back to prison after being found suitable, then whatever is working for them can work for me. And so I did what they did. I embedded myself in unbecoming everything that I wasn't. And I had to face adversity head on and walk down that path of darkness, of insecurities, of everything that led me down the path to making me think that what I did was okay. And then the opportunity came to go to the firehouse. And at the firehouse, I continued to just embed myself in continuing education, furthering my knowledge, my skills, and abilities within the job of the fire service. And I created a plan. I gave myself three years upon release to own a home and become a permanent full-time employee with Cal Fire. And I left prison with over 25 certifications in the fire service. And a lot of those I had to fight, scratch, and crawl for because they just weren't handing them out. I've developed really great relationships with some of the fire captains that supervised us in the institution. I still speak to them today because they were that impactful on my life. And they did everything that they could to ensure that I had the best shot because they seen how hungry I was. They seen how much effort and time I was putting into becoming a better person and literally trying to change my life around. So when I talk about I I hit the gate running, hit the ground running, I had a plan in place. And the only thing that ever stopped me from executing that plan was being incarcerated. So once I was set free, there was no other choice left but for me to execute the plan that has been stirring in my mind for the past three or four years. And that's what I did. Three days out 
from prison. I had a full-time job through a temp agency. I put my two weeks notice in there and got a better job uh, that was closer to home. I paroled to San Bernardino at the time. There was a lot of opportunity there for the fire service and that was the ultimate goal trying to get into the fire service there and i wind up working at this water distribution company and became really close with the owner there within three weeks he allowed me to stay at the warehouse and forgive me i was married at the time and this is really important for anybody that's out there listening as well is you know i was in a very unhealthy relationship marriage relationship and when i paroled this woman you know said that she had a home said that i had a place to go and said that she had set all those things up for us in our future and when the day that i paroled she told me that she didn't have a place that i can go so my first day that i checked into my parole officer she told me that you need, you have a week to find a place to stay or we're sending you back to Sacramento. So immediately the pressure was on and it was definitely a test, but I believe that in the preparation that I did while incarcerated, it it made me ready for those moments, for the pressure. So I wind up getting a closer job. I, I was able to get a 30-day pass to stay in a hotel while I looked for places stay. You know, of course, I had to check in with the parole officer twice a week and, you know, do all those other things that is required of a parolee. And I met a young couple by the name of Jay and Misty, who owned a water distribution company, who took me in and I shared my story with them. And they allowed me to stay at their warehouse, which had an attached building with a full loft and bed and everything like that. And Shortly after that, I applied for Cal Fire, and at the same time, I was volunteering at a fire department in Barstow, near Barstow. So I would work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday night. I would go volunteer at the fire station. Saturday, I would volunteer at the fire station. Sunday, I would volunteer at the fire station, and I'd be back to work Monday at the water distribution place. And I applied for this private fire department. And that November of 2018, I went to one of the deadliest fires in California history, the campfire near Chico in Paradise. And that was two months after being released from prison. I made really good money while being out there. And then I had put in for Cal Fire and everything like that. And I haven't seen any of my family or anything like that. So at this point, after I get back from that fire assignment, you know, I had a nice piece of change in my pocket and I was able to take a little time off and go up to Sacramento and see my family. I have a 11-year-old son from a, a previous relationship that I have been absent from for my entire incarceration. And I was able to see him for the first time and kind of reunify with a lot of my family members that I haven't seen in, in years. And that's when I made the decision to to move back to Sacramento. I got a letter from Cal Fire that my application was accepted that I needed to, you know, contact him for further direction. And I wind up meeting a, a really good, I call him a brother. His name is Anthony Bracey. Him and I had breakfast one day and we sat down and we just kind of talked and shared our stories. And that moment alone gave me a lot of hope that, you know, I wasn't the only person out here that was struggling with or going through the challenges that I was going through. So in that immediately i gained so much more confidence because he had trudged a path and you know has reached heights within cal fire that 
a lot of people haven't, specifically people of color and people with a history. And I put in for a position with Cal Fire, got the telephone call that they were extending me a seasonal firefighter position. And within eight months of being released from prison, I was in a Cal Fire uniform with a badge riding in a fire engine up and down the state of California, making over $5,000 a month. That's a blessing. That is a blessing, man. And that, that money goes a long way, being the fact that when you were incarcerated fighting wildfires, you're making $1 an hour, which yeah. equals 24 hours a day, plus a dollar sixty-seven, which is roughly $25 a day. That is, that, that's, that's, that's a blessing, man. And I'm glad you were able to share that. You know, you didn't, you didn't give up. And I was speaking with someone the other day. And one thing I mentioned about being released from custody is having family support. The more family support you have, the better your odds are. But when you're paroled and you don't have family support, most of the time, those are the ones that get out there and they just want to do right. They want to do better but it doesn't happen for them, they reoffend. And in your case, giving a week, not knowing what you're going to do, you never gave up. You stayed focused and stayed true to the things that you learned while in those self-help classes and some of that. And being told that, you was able to speak to someone and share your story. Look what happened. And that's nothing but determination right there. Sometimes people don't understand why a lot of ex-felons reoffend. Now that you have a career in wildland firefighting, what type of impact does it have on your life? That's a very great question. I have to say that this career has definitely given me a huge opportunity. It definitely keeps me grounded. Understanding it always brings reality to my front door. And what I mean by that is you know, we respond to 911 calls, all, all types of calls, wildland fires, traffic collisions, medical aids, you name it, we do it. And in those moments, when someone dials 911, that could be the worst day of their life, the worst moment of their life. And a career that allows me to respond and help people potentially at the worst moment of their life is definitely a blessing. It allows me to continue to move forward, to stay on the right track, to help and lend a helping hand to those that are in need, because it could be me on the other end of that telephone dialing 911. And I'm, I'm just so fortunate to, to have the opportunity to be able to not necessarily take advantage of, but be a part of something much greater than myself. Because the old me, it was this all about me. This career has helped mold me and has given me the insight to knowing that life is not all about me. It's collectively about healthy relationships and helping those that are around you reach their goals, overcome their obstacles. That's what the fire service has done for me. Yeah, they have been able to answer that call. And you can be sleep, you know, you got so many minute response and, you know, being able, like you said, that bell could be, you know, somebody's life on the line and being able to 
respond a car accident and wildfires and anything that can happen. And that's what the hard work does for you. And, and then, you know, being able to move forward with your career and achieve good things from here on out. What is your future with Cal Fire? What do you, what goals do you want to reach? That's a great question. I, before I met my wife, you know, I was all about fighting fire. I was, I want to be on a fire engine. I want to promote the engineer. I want to promote the captain. I want to promote the battalion chief. I was kind of tunnel vision on that career path. And then the department wound up coming up with forestry technician position, which is an entry level position for the vegetation management program. It's a part of the resource management department within Cal Fire. And I took an exam for them. I was able to pass the exam. I had an interview. And believe it or not, I got a call today about two hours ago, and they just offered me a permanent position. Congratulations, man. And that position, for a while, you know, I was talking with my wife, and I understand the importance of having a father figure in their child's life because I was directly influenced by not having a father in my life. And I know that being with Cal Fire, sometimes, you know, you can be gone for months on end. You know, last year I was maybe home two weeks from June till December because of the intense fire season. And once I found out that my wife and I were pregnant, I had really considered, you know, getting into a different career because I wanted to be home every night with my wife and my daughter and with my son. I didn't want my wife or either of my children to ever say that my dad was not there much. So for a while I was, you know, contemplating a whole new career because I was devastated of the, the lack of presence of a father. And this forestry technician program is something that is very young in development and has a lot of potential in the foreseeable future to become something really big with Cal Fire. And their schedule is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 10 hours a day. And this job, the location is 27 minutes from my front door. So I get Friday, Saturday, Sunday off. I get all state holidays off. I was just offered that position today. So now, you know, I'll be working for the state of California with Cal Fire and I'll be working Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and I'll be home every night with my wife and kids. And I'll be home every weekend with my wife and kids. It couldn't be any more perfect. To answer your question on what the career looks like, I see a lot of people within a department that are very ego-driven. You know, everybody wants to be on a fire engine. Everybody thinks it's cool. But to me, it's a lot more than that. And to me, family comes first. So with the forestry technician program, they have a career track that you would call it where you can go from a forestry technician to a forestry assistant one, a forestry assistant two, to a fire captain, to a battalion chief. And they do a lot of preventative prevention. They're more proactive rather than reactive in the department. So I'm going to humbly embrace the opportunity that has been given to me. And I am going to learn everything that I can at this entry level and apply myself to every element of it. And then later on down the road, promote all the way up, hopefully to battalion chief or division chief over the forestry technician program and be able to not only be strong husband and father to my 
children and wife, but also be a strong pillar in the department that has the ability to lead and relate and communicate with all kinds of people because I've been through that struggle of knowing what it's like to work for everything that you have. Okay. Okay. That's good. I understand that. I understand the hard work and the effort that you put in to get to where you are, even in the firehouse and in the forest. Oh, well, Cal Fire, but I was in a fire camp and eventually worked on a forest service. I did a type two, two crew. Type 2 IA initial attack crew. I've been on hotshot crews and engine, and engine modules, so I get the hard work and effort. Now, let me ask you this, Robert. What do you want members of society, how do you want them to view ex-felons being released from custody, knowing that over the years, they've always heard about the negative? Your story will not be televised. It would not, it would not make breaking news. But any time an ex-felon paroles from custody and later reoffends, it is mentioned that you know, he's an ex-felon. So from your point of view, being who you were then to where you are and who you are now, how do you want members of society to view those who are just paroled from prison or have been home from prison for a while? That's a very tough question to answer because... I think you hit it right on the head. Liddell is, you know, my, my crime that I committed was televised. It made the news and nothing about my success has went public or viral or hit the platform that my crime did. And I would love for society just to have an open mind. An open mind will do so much felons and people that parole no matter how good or how bad are always less than the normal citizen in society you know for a while all i did was wear long sleeve t-shirts you know i was afraid of what people would see on my arms and how they would judge me because of my past and i would not say that all of society is that way because there are good normal citizens who understand that you know people make mistakes But I would just love for society to really give everybody a fair chance. There's nobody that's perfect out there. There's a lot of people who have committed crimes that never got caught. There are people who have done harmful things to other people. Nobody knows what somebody is going through or what has driven somebody to do the things that they did that led them to prison. And they shouldn't be judged for it if they serve their term. They shouldn't be looked at or held less than any other person in society. I really don't know if that kind of answers your question on how I, I think that society should should look at people that parole. There's no wrong or right way to answer that. It, it, it's just based on how you feel. You said something, you know, might, you know, basically your charging offense made the news. But your success never hit social media or, or no media outlet. So that's and that's the reason why I posed that question, because like I said, there's a lot of good that comes home from the bad, but it's not going to be televised. It's not going to be noted, you know? So that's why we wanted to create this platform to let people know that we are more than just felons and ex-felons, inmates and convicts. Just look inside of us, sit down and have a talk with us, you know, judge us differently. I have this saying, and it's 
How can I bury my past if you're constantly chasing me with a shovel? There are some things in life we all choose to forget about. There are some things in life we're not going to forget because the memory is still there. But the healing process is how do you move on? And from my vantage point, you did a hell of a job, man. Don't nobody understand like I do because I was there, both incarcerated and both in the fire service. I know the hard work, the hiking, the getting ready to go out there, those five-hour hikes carrying all the way. I understand that. You know, there's other things that you've been through that I would never face. I would never understand because I never walked those shoes. But the way you're out now and you're openly expressing some things that happened to you throughout the course of your life is commendable. And your story needs to be heard. Things like this need to go viral. You know, let, let me ask this before we end this, this in this session. What advice do you have for today's at risk or troubled youth? What would you say to them? I would tell them that you got to want it more than you want anything else in the world. And there is hope. You got to be ambitious. You got to be determined. You got to be vulnerable. You got to be transparent. You don't have to fall into the mindset of the generational curses of handling things the way that everybody else did. I think a lot of my success has come from adaptability. I shared a quote with my wife today from two quotes, actually, with my wife today. One was from Charles Darwin, and he said, it is not the strongest that survive, nor the most intelligent but those that are willing to adapt to change. And that really stuck out to me because I knew that the way that I was handling things was not getting me anywhere. I had to change it up. I had to adapt. I had to overcome. So for those youth out there that may be in a similar position that I was 10, 12 years ago, or maybe experience similar things in a broken home or is going through a drug addiction problem, I would just say that you have to believe in yourself more than you believe in anything else. Because if you believe in yourself, that's half the battle. That is true. Believing in yourself, self-worth, knowing that you can do it. I just think in life, we need to embrace failure. And I expressed this to someone yesterday. One of the reasons why I was incarcerated was because I was afraid to fail. And me being afraid to fail, I choose to do things differently to circumvent in a particular way or a particular amount that I might see fit. So when you're living under someone's shadow as I was, which is my father, who worked all of his life, has a damn good career. He's okay. He's financially okay. That burden, were, you know, it rained down on me. even when it, I felt it didn't, but there was always a standard. That's Dan's son. What is he going to do? Is he going to be like his dad? I didn't want to fail. So I tried to do things differently to come up on certain things financially that I can won't always go and do other things with. And it didn't work. And when we go to prison, we don't always hurt ourselves. We hurt those who love us the most. And those are some of the things that we want today's youth to understand. Don't just learn from your own mistakes. 
that's willing to let yourself know you're going to make them. Learn from mine. Learn from Roberts. Learn from the other hundreds of thousands of individuals who are faced with incarceration before you. It is not worth it. Robert, I thank you for the listeners who might want to reach out to you and ask you other questions or might want you to say some encouraging words to them or some of their family members who are someone who might have been in our shoes who wants to get out and get involved with firefighting. Do you have a social media outlet where they can contact you at? You know, Liddell, I don't dabble in social media at all, but I'm more than welcome to give my direct line, my email, or any of those different things. I'm always open uh, to listen for people to reach out. Anything and everything is on the table with me. There's nothing that we can't talk about. Okay, well, well, viewers, if anyone listening want to have an open discussion, Robert Wynn, about anything, you can send me an email. At more than a felon, 21 at gmail.com. And I will personally make sure Robert gets this. Robert, we thank you. We first and foremost congratulate you on the upcoming birth of your daughter. I We hope and pray that there's a special and safe delivery and recovery time for the mom. We bid you good blessings in, in your marriage and your career. We thank you for the work that you do. You guys did not get enough from us, but being away from your family from December, from June to December, might have been home two weeks. It's a lot, but in the end, your family would benefit tremendously as your child, your kids will also reap the benefits of your hard work and your labor. I want to thank you. This is your host, Liddell Hayes at More Than a Felon. We thank the listeners for listening in. And we hope that something was heard and understood from Robert and how he made the best out of a bad situation. Thanks, Robert, one more time, man. I really appreciate this, man. I thank you for coming on here and sharing your story. It it really touched me. It touched me. It did. Thank you for the opportunity. And don't ever give up. Don't ever lose sight. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. Tune in to the next coming show. We'll be in touch with you. This is the host of Dale, logging out more than a felon. This is your host again, Adele Hayes, T26179, the ex-felon. Thank you for tuning into More Than a Felon, where we will continue to discuss daily issues that affect our communities and highlight the achievements of ex-felons who are now gainfully employed, own their own businesses, or those currently seeking future employment. We appreciate you for listening to the stories of those searching for a second chance in society. Subscribe to our podcast here at More Than a Felon. Join our Facebook group at More Than a Felon. And visit our website at OperationFlame.com for more positive stories such as these you've heard.